You're listening to This Nazarene Life, stories of young Nazarene clergy and their role models. TNL is a production of Young Clergy Network devoted to listening to, collaborating with, and empowering young clergy. Anyone, young or old, can join the network for free over at youngclergy.net for access to free resources, including recordings from the 2017 Young Clergy Conference this past March. This episode is sponsored by Mission New York. Mission New York exists to support church planters for the Church of the Nazarene in Manhattan, and you should totally go join them. Check them out at the Mission New York Facebook page for more information. Today on the podcast, we have Reverend C.J. Childs. C.J. is the youth pastor at Harvest Community Church of the Nazarene near Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks for tuning in. Jack, and I'm here with my guest, CJ Childs. CJ is the youth pastor at Harvest Community Church of the Nazarene outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Britt. I appreciate it. So the first question I ask everybody is, how did you end up in the Church of the Nazarene? So I came to the Church of the Nazarene basically because uh, my mom was friends with a woman who went to the Church of the Nazarene in my area. And she invited my family to come to that church. And when my parents got married, my mom had come from a Catholic background. And my dad had come from a Baptist background. And I kind of tell people, like, funny story. They got together and just decided it would be easier not to go to church at all. And so they didn't. Mm. I don't think that's the actual reason why. (laughs) But either way, when they got married, they didn't go to church. And so it was kind of the classic example of, well, they had a child now, and now that child was getting to, you know, kindergarten age, and, you know, we're being invited to this church, so maybe we should go. And so we started going off and on to Sherlington Church of the Nazarene in Macon, Georgia. Hmm. And when I was really little and we were going off and on, it was a really big church, had a lot of people, all the seats were full. It was probably over 200 people for a tiny, tiny church. And... Um, I always wanted to go for the Christmas children's play. Like that was the big thing for me. (laughs) Like we might go off and on and not go for months at a time. Mm. But whenever October rolled around, I said, take me to church because I want to try out for the children's play. Um, Because I just loved that from a young age. I think it was, I really think it was kind of God like, preparing me in a way for preaching. Mm. And I just loved um, doing that. And I remember one year I was this brown donkey and I can't sing, but I got to sing this wonderful little song like I am the donkey. So something and something. And I carried his mother uphill and down. I carried his mother to Bethlehem town. I am the donkey. Like, And I just ate it up. And so we would usually as a family make a New Year's resolution you know, January 1st to go back to church again more this year and be more committed Christians and, I don't know, maybe Americans too. Like That was kind of our viewpoint at that time. And, of course, like many um, New Year's vows, we wouldn't keep up with them. And then October would roll around again, and I would say, I want to go for the children's play. <laughs> so I really, um, I really believe in those kinds of ministries as outreach, Mm. like children's play or, 
or whatnot. Um, it's not just about entertaining our own children, but inviting others in to be a part of us. That's beautiful. And then we still did the off and on thing for a long time at the Nazarene Church, but it was the only church I ever knew. And so when I was 13, I was in middle school and it was around my birthday and just God tends to work around my birthday. It's really neat. He's, it's like his presence to me or something. Mm. Um, and around my birthday, I just felt like I need to go back to church. And so as a 13 year old, I told my parents I wanted to go back. So I started going to youth group on Wednesdays. And then a few months later, I went to youth groups on Wednesdays and Sunday school on Sundays. But I would leave before big church Mm. because big church was too intimidating. Um, Those adults didn't like me. They didn't value teenagers. That was what I was telling myself in my head. I'm not trying to say anything bad about these people. But that was what I was believing as a teenager. Mm. And so I didn't want to go to intimidating big church. And we always went to my grandma's house on Sunday. So what better excuse to miss church than we have to visit grandma. So we totally used that excuse to its end. (laughs) And um, we did that for probably a year. Uh, My dad would just drop me off, pick me up from church, uh, because we only lived maybe four or five miles from the church. And eventually, uh, my pastor, who was acting as youth pastor at the time as well, because our church had lost a lot of people throughout these early years of my life, there was um, a lot of controversy, a lot of church split kind of feeling that as a young person, I didn't know what was going on. I just knew there was a lot of gossip and people were leaving. Hmm. Um. And so we got um, very small when I was a teenager and uh, became a church in crisis. And um, we had a pastor who was acting as youth pastor as well. And he started talking to me and the other faithful team because we had a teen group of basically two faithful people who would bring in our friends occasionally. Mm -hmm. Um, Even we would be like dating evangelists, like any (laughs) boyfriend or girlfriend we two had, we would bring them into our church group. Um, so that was our teenage years and he invited us to join the church. Mm. And so I started the process of joining this church of the Nazarene in Macon, Georgia. And my dad, uh, and my mom decided that, you know, she's making big steps. We need to go with her. Mm. And so after about a year and a half of going by myself, my parents started coming to the church of the Nazarene. And that was basically how I joined the church of the Nazarene and why I'm still here. And that's my story with that part. I love that. Tell me about how you ended up being a pastor. How, tell me about your call to ministry. Yeah. So you just heard the story of how I joined the Church of the Nazarene. Well, very shortly after that is my story of when I was called to preach. Mm. So I joined around the age of 15. And at 16 is when I experienced my call. And um, at 16 years old, you're... Um, a junior in high school. And for me, I was always a planner. I wanted to know where I was going, what I was going to do, because I needed to apply for this or that or whatever. And so as a junior in high school, I was very um, intent on finding out what career I wanted to do in life so that I would know what college I need to apply to so that I would know what scholarships I'm eligible for. Mm -hmm. And I just really wanted to get it in line because I told my dad, uh, I really believed this and wanted this, that he would not have to pay for my college. Like Mm -hmm. I wanted to just be able to figure it out. I worked really hard in school to get high grades and high um, 
involvement and extracurricular activities so that I would be best set up for scholarship status. Mm. I also got my first job around that time. My first job was as a martial arts instructor at a Christian martial arts studio. Wow. And so I worked um, with a Christian martial arts studio, which was amazing because some martial arts are um, tied to different types of religions. So my sensei was a Christian and um, a charismatic Christian at that. Wow. And um, she had a prayer service and invited all of the students and the workers to come to that. And of course, as one of her head instructors uh, underneath her, not above her, I came to that. And it was really intriguing to me because at 16 years old, I had been a Christian rededicated to God for about three years. Mm -hmm. Now I was baptized when I was seven, but I was baptized when I was seven because I wanted to go swimming. And no one thought to ask me the question of why, <laughs> because I knew the Christianese answer to give, but really the reason was I wanted to go swimming. <laughs> so at 13, I really came to God and, you know, rededicated my, my life. And so from 13 to 16, I really don't remember having a prayer life. Like, I know I tried and I tried hard, but prayer was not one of those things that ever came easy to me. And just how I, I don't know, and just how I see the world or how I relate with God. And it was one of those things that was too embarrassing to ask somebody about mm. because I was this kind of leader type personality. I did kind of take charge, like I knew what to do on this or that. And so to admit that I did not know how to do something that crucial to Christian life, according to many people, uh, was embarrassing for me. And so at 16, I really still didn't know how to have a prayer life. And I went to this prayer service where, you know, they were expecting you to pray for an hour or two hours. And it was just amazing how God met me there. Mm. Um, I didn't know what to do. I would have never been to a prayer service like that before. And, you know, they had an interpretive dancer and they had uh, music I'd never heard in the Nazarene church. Uh, but I liked it. It was music from the radio, kind of. Mm -hmm. And I just had the Holy Spirit really fall on me. And I couldn't name that at that time. It's more looking back. But I really had the Holy Spirit fall on me. And I was on my knees and just on my face praying um, and crying out to God so much that I, when I eventually felt done and looked up, everybody had left except for my boss. And she was kind of like, you know, tapping her watch, like, it's time to go. <laughs> and <laughs> so I was still praying and just experiencing the Holy Spirit, maybe for the first time in my life. Mm. And just saying, God, like, I know you're real. I know you're with me. You know, I want you to tell me what you want me to do for the rest of my life. If you just tell me, I'll do it. And so I got into my car and drove home as a 16-year-old, still praying these prayers, still crying out to God. And very emotional, really, um, and just saying, God, if you just tell me what you want me to do, I will do it. I will embrace it with open arms. Those were my exact words. And I remember it was probably 9 or 10 o'clock at night, and I I don't live out in the boonies, but I definitely lived out in the country. And so there are neighbors, but they're not close by. Mm -hmm. And we had about six acres of land. You know, it's 10 o'clock or 9 o'clock at night. 
I don't have a radio on because I'm praying and my windows are rolled up. And so I say all of this for what I'm about to say in that when I pulled into my driveway, praying, God, just tell me what you want me to do. I believe God told me in an audible voice, CJ, why not preach? And I love telling people when I tell my story, I'm like, that's not good English. And it's not even good Southern, but it spoke to my heart. (laughs) And God said, CJ, why not preach? And Mm. I said, why not? Because I can't even pray. Mm. And it was just a really transformative moment for me. And, you know, some people will argue, well, like, that was probably just, you know, your mind making up this audible voice. And, you know, if people believe that, that's fine. But either way, I heard from God. Mm. And I definitely heard from God that day or that night. And it was such an impactful moment that I did what every good Christian does. And I said, God, if that was you, I will do it. But you have to give me another sign. (laughs) Because if I tell people that I heard the audible voice of God, I know where those people get locked up Mm. and their padded white rooms. Mm. (laughs) And I mean, it's just kind of true, right? Like even in the Christian community, like you have to be careful who you trust that information with. Mm. And I went home. I was already in my driveway. So I went, you know, into the house. And I didn't tell my parents. And, of course, I'm 16, so I'm like, how did I have that discernment to not tell them? Um, but I didn't tell them yet, and I just prayed about it. And, again, like I told you, I didn't really know what a prayer life looked like. So the fact that I was able to just run into prayer tells me that this was a Holy Spirit occasion in my life. Mm. And so I prayed about it. And it was a Thursday night. I prayed about it Friday. I prayed about it Saturday and just prayed, God, if you want me to do this, I will do this but I need confirmation. Mm. I need to know that that voice I heard was real and true, and this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm. And so Sunday morning, I walked into church at Sherlington Church of the Nazarene in Macon, Georgia. It's a small congregation. There's probably, at that time, 100 people on the membership roll and probably 45 average in attendance on Sunday morning. And my pastor, who was Ronnie Griffin at the time, uh, the longest running pastor in our church's 70-year history, just an amazing man of God who was really dedicated to God's call in his life. Mm -hmm. He preached a sermon, and again, another another one of those moments where I remember certain words and phrases said. I have no idea if they were actually said, Mm -hmm. but I heard them, and they spoke to my life. And so he preached a sermon on uh, who will go when God calls, Mm -hmm. and there were so many specific things in that sermon that God was saying to my heart, and I really believe it was even said, there's one person in the service has been called to preach. Mm. And so after the sermon I was over and the service was over, I went up to my pastor who had the habit of, I think during the prayer time, he would walk back to the back doors so you can greet the people on their way out. And he was at the back doors. And so I went up to him and I said, Pastor Ronnie, that was me. Like, I'm called to preach. And I, I remember like, some tears coming out of his eyes because he's a man who's just very touched by God and he'll, he shows it when he is. And I believe he told me, CJ, I knew it was you. God told me. And so I was like, wow, like God is real and God loves me because Mm -hmm. God knew that for me as a woman called to preach who didn't even realize at the time what that would entail and what 
controversies there were in the larger Christian church about that, that God would give me this story that I could hold on to and anchor myself by and say, yes, it is true. I am called to preach. Mm. Um, that was just such a gift. And it was, it was just amazing. It was amazing to see the Holy Spirit and truth and power work in my life through the Church of the Nazarene. It's just amazing. It's awesome. It's awesome. So tell me more about the journey. How did you end up where you are now? What kind of the steps from that moment of feeling called to how, how that calling has evolved over time? So after I was called to preach, I was called, I think it was around September. So it was in the fall. It was my birthday, actually. Mm. So I mentioned earlier that God tends to work around my birthday. So I got to preach my first sermon on a Wednesday night, February 14th, 2007, on my 17th birthday. Wow. So um, I preached my first sermon in this kind of like Letterman-style jacket from martial arts and blue (laughs) jeans, and my hair was in a ponytail because I just, I don't know how to explain it, but... I had just never, ever seen a woman preacher. So one, I didn't know it was wrong to some people. And two, I just didn't realize the professional like aspect of preaching. Mm. I was just coming at it as a teenager with a strong passion for God. And so I'm just going to preach how I go to school. (laughs) Sure. And so I preached my first sermon out of Hebrews 11 which was my favorite chapter in the Bible because of teen Bible quizzing in the Church of the Nazarene. (laughs) And um, I preached on faith and the faith of those who had gone before us and the faith that we're called to have today. And I'm sure it was a mess. Um, There's a video of this somewhere that I've probably hidden and forgotten where I hid it on purpose. Um, As many people would say about the first time they did anything like that. Sure. Yeah, I got to preach from on my 17th birthday. It was it was amazing and how God ordained that. I really believe that. And then my pastor and the board approved me for my first local license that following fall. So a year after my original call, I received a local license to preach the gospel in the Church of the Nazarene as a 17-year-old, which was amazing. Mm. I've said that word a lot, but that's really what I feel about what God's done in my life. And from then, um, I was preaching in my church. I was invited to preach at another, at two other churches of the Nazarene in Georgia by uh, very affirming male pastors who wanted to call a 17-year-old girl to come preach to the congregation. But basically, I had three ordained Church of the Nazarene men who really affirmed my call at a very young age. Mm. And so from then on, I planned on going to Trevecca Nazarene University, which is our regional school um, in the southeast. Right. And that's the only school I applied to, Mm. which was really intriguing because I, now I don't don't say this to brag, but I just say this to show God because I was actually valedictorian of my high school. Mm. And so as valedictorian in Georgia, I could have gone to almost any Georgia public school for free. Wow. And... I really felt like God had called me to preach, and I felt like if I'm called to preach, then I need to go to Nazarene school. Mm. And Nazarene school was going to cost over 30000 a year, and I had told my father that 
he's not going to have to pay for my school because I'm going to figure it out. Mm. And so I was giving up these free rides all over Georgia for the only school I even applied for, which was Trevecca. And I really saw God come through because, you know, there's there's scholarships for missionary kids. There's scholarships for pastor's kids. There's not scholarships that are specifically for people called to the ministry. Oh, there there are, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like uh, people who already have a license to preach or whatnot. It's a little different. Um, but Trevecca does have a wonderful like array of endowments and scholarships and I spent my whole senior year of high school applying for, I think, over 90 scholarships wow. is what I did. I, I literally spent most of the time I would have spent on homework because I didn't have as many classes my senior year. So I spent most of my time writing scholarship essays, uh, doing this, doing that, applications. I applied for so many. I had a whole like large folder mm. of applications that I was doing because I knew I needed to pay for Trevecca. Mm. And I got to Trevecca the next year and through about a ridiculous number of scholarships put together, maybe six or seven or even eight, um, I was able to have my education paid for. Wow. And every year at Trevecca, they had to go up on our amount we have to pay. I, I don't know if they went up on tuition or room and board or both. I'm not sure. But it went up a little bit every year. And um, I would have to find new ways of covering that. And God really always provided. Mm. Like, I would just go and kind of pound the pavement and research stuff and do stuff to apply for it. And God always provided. Mm. I even ran. <laughs> I ran on the first Trevecca Nazarene University cross-country team because they were offering scholarships to girl runners. <laughs> And they didn't really care how fast you were. They just needed girl runners. So I went and ran cross country for a scholarship. That's amazing. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, yeah, it was a lot of hard work on my side, but I really do see God's hand in all of that. Wow. And I just see God's hand in my life and in my calling. And not to say my life was easy. And my life at Trevecca was very hard for a lot of personal reasons. And I share that almost any time I go to a church to preach. I like to preach my testimony because I believe that our testimony is our greatest sermon in life. Mm. I really do. And so before I preach from a biblical text or from a topical lesson or whatever your style of preaching might be, I want people to know the story that God has written on my heart and my mind and my life. And... I really believe in, in that narrative and that story being super important. Mm, I love that. So tell me about the transition from Trevecca. What happened next? So my senior year at Trevecca was very hard emotionally for me. I was just really struggling with a lot of different things. And in the midst of that, I was praying a little bit before that, actually, I was praying in the manner of John Wesley on occasion. Um, he had certain uh, questions he would pray through on a, on the daily basis. So every Tuesday he would pray through these things, every Wednesday these things. Mm. At least I believe that to be true. Um, and so I was doing that for a little while, and I would pray through these lists of questions that he did. And um, there's one question some that says something to the fact of, 
God, if there is any wicked way in me, would you would you show me? Mm. And God showed me that I was racist. Mm. And it wasn't a racism against um, African American or black people. It was racism against Latino people. Wow. And I was like, God, like, where is this coming from? Like, I'm, I didn't know that. Like, <laughs> what is up with this? Um, I was so just flabbergasted because it was not something on my radar. And it truly had to have been God showing me because you know, never in my life would I put that kind of label on myself. Mm. Um, I've seen that label in other people being from the South, and I've never acted out in those ways that would be considered racist. Mm. So it was just something just like blew my mind. Mm. And I was praying to God and saying, God, how can I fix this? How can I redeem this? Because I, I figured out where it come from. It come from a bad experience I'd had. Uh, with just one Latino person. And I let that be a, a, a root of something that was just so ugly. Mm. And God sent me to serve a Hispanic Nazarene church in our community. There was two of them. I talked to the district superintendent of that area, and he suggested I try one of them before the other. Mm. And so I called up this uh, Hispanic Church of the Nazarene in Nashville, Tennessee, and I said, Hey, like my name's CJ. I'm at Trevecca. I would love to serve you, even if I can just clean the toilets. I really feel like God wants me to come serve you. Like, I'm so serious about this. And they said, Come be our children's pastor. And I said, Wow, okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm not necessarily good with kids, but I am going to serve. <laughs> And so I went and I served as their children's pastor from day one. Wow. And about three weeks in, um, after not putting in an application, not having an interview, not even knowing the pastors super well, I finally asked the pastora, which is the, the pastor's wife, but she's also a pastor in her own right. So many times it's pastor and pastora. I asked her, um, you know, why did you let me in that quick? Like, what? You know, how could you trust me with the most vulnerable population of your church right. and not even know me? And she said, well, I mean, didn't Trevecca send you? So what had happened was the day before I called, they sent in an ad to Trevecca asking for a children's pastor intern from the student body. And when I called the next day, they just assumed that the professors had sent me. Wow. Um. So it was just God's hand in it all the time. And I I got to meet probably eight or nine different nations of people there. Um, a lot of the members were uh, without proper documentation in our country. And so there was all of that drama, even during the year 2011, 2012, before all of the current stuff. Mm. And I saw families torn apart even at that time. Mm. And it was really hard. And the kids... They spoke perfect English, and so they were able to help me. I would spend the first hour in the Latino um, Spanish worship, uh, not really knowing what was going on, but trying my hardest. And then I would spend the next two hours with the children. Mm. And I learned so much from them. But what I learned the most from the Latino community at that church is I learned how to love. Mm. And I learned what love looks like. And I, I learned that because they loved me first. Mm. And it wasn't 
and again, and I mean, there's probably people who heard me say racist and they automatically judged me. Um, but I really wasn't that outward racist. You know, I wasn't like, I'm going to go and do stuff against these people or I'm going to think bad things against these people. It was just that kind of root of sin that God was revealing in my life that needed to be taken out for me to know how to love people like Christ loves people. And I learned how to love through that community. Um, I learned just so much through them. And um, through that community was when God started showing me that after Trebekah, I was to go to the mission field. And I was not just to go to the mission field, but I was going to go to Spanish-speaking cultures in South America. And so it's God bringing me from this point of, of sin hmm. through this process of learning how to love and being redeemed from that sin wow. and into this process of showing God's love to more people that are part of this Spanish culture. Hmm. Um, and so I went with Extreme Nazarene Missions to South America. I lived in South America for two and a half years uh, in Peru and Colombia and Ecuador. Just in case we have people who don't know what extreme is, can you can you let us know? Yeah, totally. Um, extreme Nazarene Missions is a organization that works under the umbrella of Mission Corps, but they're kind of separate at the same time. But they're they're a missions organization that is Church of the Nazarene through and through that sends teams of young missionaries paired up with young missionaries from the host culture Mm. um, to go and plant a church. They have um, language school and some ministry training beforehand. And then they're given two years in their context to raise up a church from uh, having people accept Christ, training them how to be leaders and giving them leadership roles so that when the missionaries leave two years later, the church is able to thrive and survive and have local leaders take up the mantle. Wow. Because it's not just about foreigners with light colored skin coming in and telling you what to do. Yeah. That is not what it's about. It's about coming in, sharing the love of Christ, and then getting out mm-hmm. so that they can further use their own culture and their own experience and share it with the rest of the people in that country. Yeah. Um, so I really enjoyed my time with Extreme. I learned so much on the mission field that was invaluable. And I went and I spent six months after that um, in Africa with a different organization. And then I came back uh, because God told me to. (laughs) I didn't want to, I wanted to stay on the mission field. Mm. And the last country I was in was in Israel. Mm. And I was praying in one of those 24 seven prayer rooms that are in Israel. Uh, it's called Sukkot Hallel. It's in Jerusalem. And God said, go back home and pastor. Mm. And I said, no. <laughs> Those people don't understand me. I don't understand them. Like, I don't really fit into American culture. I would love to be Latina. <laughs> um, I just, I loved the mission field. I originally told God at Trevecca, God, I will preach anywhere you want me to. Just don't send me to the mission field. Mm. And then after going to the mission field, I told God, God, I will preach anywhere you want me to. Just don't send me back to America. (laughs) (laughs) And so God told me, go back home and pastor. And I came back here and I ended up where I'm at, getting my master's of divinity and youth pastoring at Harvest Community. That's so cool. I, I love that story so much. 
what is your favorite part about being a pastor? What do you enjoy the most? I was talking to someone just the other day, and I really, really, really could not imagine my life in any other vocation or any other career choice, whatever language you feel comfortable with when you talk about ministry. Mm. Um, I just love caring for people. Pastoral care is my heart. Mm. I love visiting people in the hospital. I love visiting um, people who are in assisted living situations. I really, uh, I love being there for crisis care. Um, In Ecuador, that was literally the niche God gave me and my partner. Um, Mm. We actually, like, we literally restrained someone from committed suicide. Um, We would have to bring groceries to families that did not have enough to feed their kids, Mm. but would always feed us something when we came. Mm. Um, We had to uh, do marriage counseling when both of us were single Mm. and had never been married, Mm. uh, which is totally possible to do, but we didn't have the training that many pastors have in that. We were just winging it with God and trying our best not to cause harm, but to do good. Yeah. and then we had a lot of situations of abuse that we we would counsel people and suggest and pray and still have to go through the torture it is to be a pastoral caregiver in a situation where there's abuse and the person who's being abused is not ready to leave it, mm. um, which does feel like torture. Yeah. Um, so, but that's, I love doing that. I really do. Um I guess if God ever told me to leave the ministry or if I ever got kicked out of ministry or if, <laughs> if like the worst case scenario happened and I couldn't do ministry, um, I would probably be a counselor just because mm-hmm. I like, that's what I just so love to do. I love to see people's lives, um, get better and better little by little. Mm-hmm. I love to see people come to God and let God, um, start healing them from the inside. I, I love to disciple people. I love that one-on-one or, you know, in a very, very small group, just sharing life and sharing doubts. Mm. I love it when I get to work with this alternative crowd of people. Like, I love it when I get to work with a young adult or a teen or even a, an older adult who just comes at me and they're like, I think this and this and this. <laughs> what do you say about that? And I really love to just talk with those people and say, and honest, I don't know. Because that's what I've found to be the most important in those conversations, is to admit sometimes I don't know. But I do know that God is real because of this narrative I have of my life Mm -hmm. and because of just where I've seen God's hand working in this world. And I am willing to just walk with you as you discover that as well. So that's what I love. And I, I have a strong passion for preaching, too. I don't I don't want to leave that out because it is a, such a big part of my story. Sure. Anytime I get to preach at a church, I just feel so empowered. Mm. I feel so energized. I feel like that's God's encouragement for my life. Mm. Keep going, CJ. Keep going. Even when it gets hard, like, I am with you. Oh, that's beautiful. Um just super practical question like what would you say to a young pastor who is not good at hospital visits or is nervous about visiting 
a sick person or someone who they've never met or don't know very well, like what kind of advice might you give to that pastor? I, I believe people are unique and because I believe that and because I've, one of my core values is I value difference. Mm. I'm not perfect at that. I'm growing in that, but I really do value how God has made us so different. Mm. And I love seeing people on each side of the spectrum. And so for a pastor who is not particularly fond of that or not particularly confident in that, um, for me, it would depend on what else do I know about this pastor? What I would suggest sure, sure. <laughs> because we're so unique. Um, so one of my answers could be, well, create a team, like get some other people who are lay people in your congregation who are awesome at that yeah. and empower them to go do it because it's not all about you. Oof. Um, I just, I get so frustrated occasionally when either leadership or church laity think that ministry is done by the pastor and the pastor alone. Mm. Um, it's just so not biblical and it's so not who we are as a people of God. Yeah. Um, I really believe in the, in the empowerment side of ministry. Mm. Um, I would love um, to be a mold breaker who says every church I go to, my job is to work myself out of the pastorate. So every church I go to, my job is to raise up either a lay leader or raise up a staff member who is going to take my position. I'm going to have to go find another church. Now, I don't know if I'm going to be that brave. I pray I will Mm. uh, because it's scary when you're working yourself out of a job. You don't know where your paycheck's going to come from. But I believe in that model. Mm. Um, I mean, we, you hear people in the church talk about, you have to have your Timothy Mm. talking about Paul and Timothy and how you raise up young leaders, but we don't see enough pastors being brave enough to do that with their position. Mm. Like if you have an awesome associate pastor, you have an awesome youth pastor, you have an awesome, whatever pastor who could be the lead pastor. If you weren't there, I don't know. I just, I, I would love to think that God will grow me in my courage and strength that one day I could be that pastor who says, you take this, I'm going to go somewhere else and raise up someone else. Again, that sounds like pie in the sky. <laughs> I would. I am praying that God will give me the strength and courage to be that person. Oh, I love that so much. What are some ways that you work to empower lady and and leadership where you are? I uh, am a youth pastor right now. Um, I am pastoring part-time because I have to go to school full-time and I have to work part-time to pay the bills I have. And so I have a team of youth leaders who work with me. Uh, There's six of us that work on Wednesday night youth and events. Mm. And then there's, um, there's two to four. We're actually in transition right now that do the, the youth discipleship on Sunday mornings. Mm -hmm. Um, my church doesn't do Sunday school per se. We do D groups. So discipleship groups or discussion groups, Mm. which are after the service. Okay. And we have middle school and high school divided for those. And so I work with a team of people and I, I would love to do more to empower and encourage and uh, train them. Um, 
But, you know, even though I've been to Trevecca, even though I'm in seminary, even though I have three years missions experience, I am not the expert in a lot of the issues that come up. Mm. And so I really, I hope they know this. I hope they believe this. I really do depend on my team. Um, I'm not the leader who's training them up because they don't know what they're doing. Mm. I really do look at my team of youth leaders as we are all equal. Mm. And I value their opinions. If they think we need to change something, I really want to change it. And if, if they're not able to do something I'm asking them to do because they have family responsibilities or because they work full-time and they're giving this extra, um, we, we change the requirements. I mean, we, I, I really believe that we have been in this process for a year now of growing together as a team mm. and that teams look different in every location because of the same thing I said earlier. Like every place and person is unique yeah. and different and that is good. That's that's the situation I'm in right now. Hmm. So do you have any um, tips or methods for a pastor who might be, who maybe hasn't raised up lay leadership but wants to and is just not sure where to start? Yeah. I mean, most every church I can think of at this point does have lay leadership. It's just whether they're empowered or not. Hmm. So most churches have boards. Um, most Nazarene churches have a children's uh, leader or organizer, uh, maybe not a pastor, but they have a, a person in charge of the children's ministry. Most Nazarene churches have some kind of youth leader mm. or at least an adult who teaches lessons to them. Um, you know, a lot of churches have laity in worship. Uh, whether it's in a choir or leading hymns or in a band. Mm. So we do have lay leadership. I think where it gets a little hard is uh, the the level of trust. Mm. So, you know, pastors go through training, whether you go through Bible college online or whether you go to a university or whether you go to seminary. Like pastors have a certain level of training. And a lot of times, uh, lay leadership in a church does not have that training. And so, at least in my limited experience, it's less of a question of we don't have lay leadership. And maybe more of a question of, well, we don't trust our lay leadership. Um, And I, I, I mean, that, again, there's different situations, and every situation is unique. And so that might be a okay case in certain situations where laity are teaching um, maybe doctrines that are not healthy Mm. or using methods of let's say evangelism that are harmful Mm. Um, so there might be situations like that where pastors do have to say you know I'm not comfortable uh, with that kind of leadership or with that idea being spread um, but there's also other situations where I'm really influenced by how my parents raised me. Mm. And so when I was a teenager, uh, my dad had the philosophy of if she's going to try this or that, I'd rather her do it at home and instead of us like sheltering her and sheltering her and sheltering her. And then when she goes to college, she like explodes. Mm. 
because you see that happen sometimes with teenagers who have been sheltered. They go to college and they go crazy. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't, I didn't try anything crazy at home, but just the fact my dad had that philosophy and was willing to let me make mistakes occasionally mm. and willing to help me grow through that while I was still in the home setting and there wasn't this threat of you're going to get kicked out or you're going to do this or that. I think that's really influenced how I view lay leadership somewhat as well. Yeah. Um, so my opinion is like, you know, entrust them with a responsibility and if they fail, pick them up, mm. you know, or if, if that's too big of a thing for you, give them little things to do. But I really think the big ask is where it's at. When you give people a big job and you say, I'm going to support you, I'm going to be here for you, but you're the one in charge and I believe you can do it. And then whether they fail or whether they succeed, like you encourage them and you pick them back up and you say, well, let's go at it again. Mm. <laughs> so that might not be a very academic answer, but it, it's very based in how I was raised and how I think at this point in life. I mean, it's so true, though. I feel like there is a sense that can this person do it? Will they come through this nervousness that because they're not paid, they might not show up on time or get the thing done itself? So I think that trust, it is a big issue. Yeah. And I don't have all the answers. And I'm not about to pretend that everyone needs to go out and do exactly what I'm saying. Because, again, I told you, like, my value is difference. Yeah. If people don't agree with this, that is fine. Yeah. There are lots of ways of being faithful to God and faithful to shepherd our people. Mm. That's great. So the last question I ask everybody is, what inspires you to stay in the Church of the Nazarene? What is it that's keeping you here? The Young Clergy Con. But no joke, that, so that's not my whole answer, but if, if someone listening to the podcast has never heard of the Young Clergy Con, I went to the inaugural Young Clergy Conference um, in Oklahoma this past March, mm. and it was so encouraging, because I knew there was young ministers, but there's a difference between knowing they're somewhere and seeing them face-to-face and being able to talk and connect and, you know, it was hilarious because um, someone, someone shared this on social media, but it was true in other situations, too, in that um, some of these people I knew from online settings, mm. but it was meeting them for the first time in real life. And so it's like, wow, they do exist. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, um, what encourages me to stay in the Church of the Nazarene? So I really believe this since um, since my call story that the Church of the Nazarene and my you know little Shillington Church of the Nazarene um, probably forty five member average when I was at this point in my life is they were faithful to me like mm. they grew me they were a church in crisis and yet they stayed around um, they you know they were going through their own problems but still had a space for youth ministry and let us try some things. Uh, I got to organize and plan a worship service and preach about once a month, I think, if I remember right. 
um, they just gave me the space to practice and try and try again, mm. which again has influenced the way I, I look at leadership in the church. Yeah. And so for me, it's the, the church in the Nazarene was faithful to grow me and I want to be faithful back to her as long as I can. Mm. Um, and you know, I do, I do like our theology. The more I, I've learned about it, um, I actually learned how Nazarene I was mostly by going to a Baptist seminary. Mm. Um, and it's not a, not a Southern Baptist seminary, but I went to a cooperative Baptist fellowship seminary. Okay. So they are affirming of women preachers, but they are different in theology as well. Yeah. And so being here, I've learned, wow, I really do believe this about Nazarene doctrine on this point or that point or that point. Yeah. And you know, I, I want to believe that I will be faithful to her until death. But if God does call me elsewhere for whatever reason that God would have, then I want to be faithful to God. Yeah. And I believe every minister or pastor in the Church of Nazarene would say the same thing. Mm. Because when we get ordained, we're, we're marrying the church, yes. But that's really, for me, a vow and a sacred commitment to God mm. to say, I will follow you wherever you go or wherever you lead me. And so I want to believe that while I want to be faithful to the Church of Nazarene forever, I want to believe that if God called me elsewhere for um, a reason, that I would be faithful to God as well. Oh, man. CJ, you're awesome. I I almost wish I could, like, move to Georgia and be part of your youth group because you just— you just inspire me so much. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Britt. It, it's really been a pleasure to meet you and to be a part of the Young Clergy Con. Oh, that's great.